being a, an ex-athlete, uh, I'm very highly competitive. I'm sure. highly competitive, right? So when I lose and I bring my bag of OG up, then he bring his bag of OG up and he take his bag, I'm pissed off. And I want to know, why did you take his bag over my bag? You know what I'm saying? So when you when that happens to you long enough, you start digging deeper. If you got one, spark up. You listen to the Higher Learning Podcast with 420 NJ Events. Let's go! Happy 420, everybody. Welcome to the Higher Learning with 420 NJ Events Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Robinson. Here my brother and my co-host, Stan Okoro. Stan, what's up, baby? What's going on, brother? Feeling good, man. Feeling great, bro. Feeling really good, man. We got a special, special guest in the show tonight, guys. Come on. Man, this this man is a boss in every sense of the word. Come on. You know what I mean? He's taking his talents from the legacy market and not only transitioned to the legal space, but he's dominating it. Come on. This man is a former professional athlete running a black-owned, family-owned business. Awesome. Come on, bro. Let, let, let me tell him. He's growing some of the best shit in the country. I'm talking about the CEO of Ball Family Farms. Mr. Chris Ball, what's up, baby? Hey, what's happening, man? Cheers to that introduction, bro. Uh, cheers, baby. Thank you very much. Cheers, fellas. Come on now. Boy, you make me sound cooler than I really am, brother. Oh, man. man. Come on. Nah, man. Listen, we, we appreciate you spending some time with us uh, this evening, man, for sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. Um, you know, my brother and I, we're, we're huge fans, man. Um, Thank you. Yeah, man. Not, not only of your product, but just the way you run your business and the quality and care you put in the building your organization. Um, you know, you, you really set a tone for what social equity should look like. We really salute you for that, my brother. Thank so, you, bro. Not for sure, man. Um, but before we jump into all the amazing things you got going on in cannabis, let's just kick things off, man, by telling folks who Chris Ball is and how uh, Ball Family Farms came about. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, what version, can, What? how much How much do I got? Can I just speak? You, really? No, you, to, are we on our time clock? This, or can listen, I really this, this, story? this ain't the granny, right, bro. bro. The platform is yours. Go ahead. Oh, man, for <laughs> sure. All right, all right. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is uh, Christopher Ball. I am the CEO and founder of uh, Ball Family Farms. We are uh, the largest social equity. Uh, we have the largest social equity footprint in Los Angeles, California. And um, yeah, man, we here for the people and for the culture. A little bit about myself. Um, like my man said earlier, I am a uh, I'm a legacy I'm a legacy trap guy. You know, turn legit. So my my experience with cannabis started very very early uh, at an early age. I was about 16, and uh, before that, before I get into you know how I actually got into the cannabis and started you know to the cannabis industry and started selling weed. Uh, I'm gonna give you a little bit of insight of, you know, when I had my first experience, you know, with cannabis. And that was when I was about 10. And um, I, I figured out what cannabis was at 10 years old because it was the funny smelling cigarette my dad used to smoke, you know, after dinner. You know what I mean? So, you know, me and my, my mom and my pops, you know, we'd have dinner, then we'd go to the couch and maybe catch a movie or something. And moms would have her glass of wine and pops would pull out his tray from underneath the couch. <clears throat> and roll up these funny smelling cigarettes. Now, moms used to smoke regular cigarettes, so I knew what those looked like. Sure. The bop, pop cigarette, you know, was a little bit thinner and it smelled funny, you know what I mean? So fast forward to, you know, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, barbecues, you know, birthdays, you know, uh, I would see this funny smelling cigarette again. And I, you know, so grandma would be smoking it, cousin, uncle, 
you know, the family. So it just became, you know, a part of the culture. So then when I, once I turned 16, you know, my cousin Earl was the neighborhood weed man at the time. And uh, cousin Earl was super fresh, you know, always had Jordans on, always had fresh white tees, herringbone chains, you know, we 80s babies. So it was a different look back then. The chains didn't choke back then. They kind of hung real low. You had that 26 inch, you know what I mean? And cousin Earl was the guy. And I knew what cousin Earl was doing at that age. So, you know, I wanted, I envy cousin Earl because of, you know, how stylish he was. And, you know, he always had some money in his pocket. So I asked cousin Earl to throw me my first zone, my first ounce. And, um, uh, at that time, man, I, you know, I was, I was in it for the wrong reasons. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just wanted to be like cousin Earl. So I wasn't very good at it. You know, cousin Earl taught me how to break it down, bag it up. You know what I mean? Gave me my price points and I went to work, but because my passion for it wasn't really there, you know, I wind up giving half of it away. I probably sold the other half, tried to smoke some, got paranoid and just was like, this ain't for me. You know what I mean? I put it down. Let me focus on football and girls. That's about it. So once I turned 18, you know, two years later, it was time to graduate. I graduated from high school and, you know, moms and pops had that tough conversation that was like, you know, you either gonna, you know, get a job or you gotta keep going to school, but we can't afford to send you to school. So you're gonna have to figure it out, but you gotta get out of here, right? So at that point I moved out, moved in with, with one of my homies and I just decided, you know, I, don't, I wasn't ready to go into the workforce yet. So I was like, you know what, let me try to go to junior college and uh, give me a football scholarship. Let me just really focus on my sports and give me a football scholarship. So um, I called cousin Earl back and I was like, yo, cuz, like, let me get that, you know, run that ounce again. You know what I mean? But only this time, it was two years later, I was more mature and the stakes were higher, right? I knew if I couldn't make junior college work, I was gonna have to go get a regular job. I was probably gonna be working at UPS somewhere and I just wasn't with that at that time. So Cousin Earl threw me the zone again and this time, you know, I made it work. I took it a lot more serious and it was how I was able to pay my tuition in junior college, you know, put gas in my little car, you know, put food in my stomach. I sold weed out of my backpack for the next two years, you know what I'm saying? Paid for my books until I got my football scholarship to Berkeley, to Cal Berkeley to play ball. So once I get to Berkeley, I put it down. You know what I mean? I got a football scholarship. I'm on a full ride. I got, you know, I was all American coming out of junior college. So my intention was to just get to Berkeley for two or three years and then get drafted into the league, make millions of dollars and live life happily ever after, right? Well, that didn't happen. You know, a brother did graduate, but um, I bounced around a little bit. I came out of college and went free agent, you know, cause I got in some trouble my senior year. So I went free agent to the Niners, you know, spent time in training camp, got released. Uh, they sent me over to NFL Europe. So then I went and played in Berlin, Germany for a year, came back and uh, was about to go in with the Kansas City Chiefs and, when, and except I got a call um, from uh, British Columbia from the BC Lions and they was offering me like a three-year deal worth some good money. And I was gonna go in there and be the starter and I didn't have to fight for my job. So I went that route. Once I got to Canada, this is where I saw weed. This is where I saw cannabis for the first time go from seed to harvest, right? I had never seen the process before up until this moment. You know, I was always middleman and entrapping the product, you know what I mean? And just putting my points on, but I had never seen it grown. So one of the one of the homies on the team, you know, had to grow cause you know, weed is that's, you know, it's, it's super legal out there and it was super legal to grow out there in Canada. So we would always just go over to his grow at the practice, man. And he would just get, start teaching me how to grow. You know me, one of me and my other homeboys. So I took that knowledge, you know, in the off season, what we would do was I started trafficking from Canada to the United States, right? And I won't get into how I was able to do that because I don't want to blow nobody's cover in case they're doing it right now. <laughs> but 
that's how we, you know, that's how us boys supplemented our income in the off season. You know, we, you know, we bag up, you know, 20, 30 units, get them across the border, get them down to LA. We was picking up, you know, back then that's when BC weed was in. So we was picking up back then for about 800 a pound, getting it down to Cali, down to the West coast. We was getting, I was getting about 3,500 and was killing the market. You know what I mean? And I was able to undercut everybody because I was getting it from up there and I was getting it so cheap. So that's when my real entrepreneurship and my real, you know, uh, street stripes, I started to gain street stripes, you know what I mean? Until I did that, you know, for the next four years until I eventually attracted the attention of the federal government and caught my indictment. So here we are, 2010, right? I'm looking at a 10-year mandatory minimum on my case. Um, I'd never been in trouble with the law before, never been arrested. On my, I, I think the most I had gotten up until that point was a speeding ticket, you know what I mean? Um, so I get wrapped up in this case and I plead out, you know what I mean? I got a, I got a good attorney. My attorney's like, look, don't fight it. You know what I mean? You ain't been in no trouble. It's your first time, your first offense. You know, the judge will be a little bit lean, you know, and you just plead out, admit what you did and we'll be good. So the charge was the conspiracy to distribute 2000 pounds of, of marijuana across the United States. Right. So I got, I, I took a plea for about 450 units and the judge gave me, um, gave me 30 months. So I went in, you know what I'm saying? I went in prison. I was in there for about a month before they finally let me bail out. And so I bailed out and um, my, my lawyer worked, uh, worked out a deal with the judge and got me on pretrial release. So what that means is there were other guys, it was 14 men indictment. So there were other guys on the case fighting the case. So what my attorney said was, Chris is gonna do his three years, but not until the case is over, not until everyone is done and then he'll report for sentencing. Well, that went on for, for four years, right? And in that four years, I came out and, and held a job. I worked two years at Abercrombie and Fitch as a 32 year old man, hella embarrassing, right? And then I uh, got headhunted by Nike and moved and moved to Las Vegas and started working for Nike for the remaining two years during that four year period. By the time the four years was up, I went back to court to report for sentencing. And the judge had saw that I had been, you know, an, uh, a rehabilitated citizen, if you will. You know what I mean? I had not gotten any trouble in, the, in that four years. I held the job, paid my taxes for the past four years. So the judge gave me time served and I walked away as a free man, right? Don't ask me why, a month later, after the judge let me go, I quit my job at Nike. I had saved up all my money, right? That whole time that I was working, I had saved up all my bread. And I still had some bread left over from before I went in, right? Came back to LA and bought a 14 light grow in Van Nuys, California. When I left, now let me, this is important for y'all to know because when I left the courtroom, right? The judge looked at me and said, Mr. Ball, I'm proud of you. You ain't got in no trouble. You have had no run-ins with the law. But if I if you get in trouble with weed, one, one small thing, any kind of narcotics, anything, right? You're immediately coming back here and you're gonna do three years, no questions asked. We're not even gonna have a trial nut and I'm throwing you right back in, right? So don't ask me why I left after a month of the, that man telling me that and I quit that that high paying job I had at Nike and came back to the cannabis industry. I know why I did it now, right? Mm -hmm. But at the time, I didn't know and my family didn't know. My, fa my family was very upset with me. You can only imagine what all of my friends and shit was telling me like, bro, you're crazy. Like something's wrong with you. But during that time I was working, man, I just figured out that corporate America just wasn't for me. Like you would think coming off of a football, pro football career, you know, um, you know, being a being a, a athlete, working for Nike, getting to wear tennis shoes to work every day and talk football for one of the most prestigious companies in, on the planet, you would think that I would be happy, but I wasn't. You know, 
weed and the cannabis was just calling me back. I don't know if it was my trap ways. I don't know if it was just my love for the plant. I don't know what it was, bro, but it just kept calling me back. So I left and came back. Thank God I did because I'm here today. But so what ended up happening is I bought that 14 like grow. I have been trapping so long in Los Angeles. By the time I got that grow and I figured out how to grow, which it took me about a year. For the first year, I just burnt up plants, not really knowing what I was doing, but I kept at it, right? By the time I got good at it, all of my boys owned all the Prop D compliant shops, the pre-ICOs in Cali, right? They owned at least 75% of them. So at that point, I just started taking my work over to the Prop D compliant shops and selling it to my boys. I became a caregiver, you know, for a lot of the patients that were part of the co-op. And that's when I really started getting good and kind of started making a name for myself until I got introduced to the social equity program in 2018. And that's when I officially started Ball Family Farms. But well, that's the backstory, and that's how I got here. Damn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I asked you what version I could give you. you no, 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 no. I'm not saying damn in that way, bro. I'm saying damn. What a fucking story, man. Like, oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, like, that's it. I mean, and there's a lot. There's a lot of more details in that story, but you know, there's some there's some Netflix things going on right now that I can't. They like. You can tell the basics. Don't tell everything because we won't be able to watch. For sure, for sure. Respect, respect, man. I mean, no, it's, it's it's amazing just, A, your level of perseverance, but B, just you learn from your mistakes at each level. From, oh, yeah. From the first pack with Cousin Earl to taking oh, yeah. a more serious second go-round to realizing you wanted to be an entrepreneur and not work for corporate America. And, yeah, you know what I mean? It just, again, every, every, every step of the way, man. So that's just dope. You know, um... My brother and I, man, we're always intrigued by folks who are able to straddle, you know, both ends of the fences, so to say, you know, with the legacy market and the legal market. Um, given your background, can you talk about just some similarities between the two? Absolutely. Um, extremely similar. Extremely, extremely similar. Like, probably more similar than it should be. You know what I'm saying? I would say that um, the only difference, you know, right, the only difference that really affects me that, you know, affects me on a daily basis is just the compliance piece of being in the legal framework, right? You know, in the trap, I could build a grow, you know, I could call, you know, Carlos, who was my general contractor. I could call, you know, uh, Matt, who was my electrician. These are guys that I could pay cash for. They come through. I understood power just from trial and error. You know what I'm saying? Just from being building grows and stuff like that. So you could call those guys. They'll come out, set up your power, you know, bring your HVAC guy out, set out your set up your HVAC, make the room, you know, as big as you want and you'll be good. Now, you know, I have to worry about ADA compliance. I got to worry about my permits. I got to worry about my load calculations. I got to get, you know, my electrical engineer to come out and make sure I'm not stealing power from somebody down the street. You know what I'm saying? How much power does this pole is, is going to allow me to get, you know? So from that standpoint, that's probably the most frustrating thing. But as far as the business itself of, of, of growing and, and selling cannabis, selling marijuana, they are exactly the same, you know? And I think because of my street knowledge and experience, I believe that's why I'm having the success, the success that I'm having today is because I've been, I've broken, I've broken up probably a million buds of weed over the course of, you know, 15 years or actually 25 years since I've been doing this shit, right? So I understand cannabis in every aspect of the word. I understand, I can look at a, I can look at a bud of weed and tell you if this has PGRs in it, if this has mold on it, and I don't smoke. I can tell you what, what kind of media it was grown in. I can tell you, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's immature, I can tell you if they left it on a plant too long, 
just from looking at it, right? So those things are important when you're when you're trying to build a brand and 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 capture you know your consumer. You got to know all those things. I've sat in a room you know 15 years ago with three other growers who had packs trying to get the sale, and I didn't always win. Being a, an ex athlete, uh, I'm very highly competitive. I'm highly competitive, right? So when I lose and I bring my bag of OG up, then he bring his bag of OG up and he take his bag, I'm pissed off. And I want to know why did you take his bag over my bag? You know what I'm saying? So when you when that happens to you long enough, you start digging deeper. Okay, now I need to go talk, I need to go figure out genetics. I need to figure out growing methods. I need to figure out why is his better than mine? You know, we growing the same thing. So, you know, all those things count, you know what I'm saying, when you're coming up in this space. And so I think that grabbing all of that knowledge and experience, you know what I'm saying, from what I was doing, not to mention all the guys that I had, you know, that I was shipping weed to out of state, you know what I'm saying? So understanding the perception of weed in different states as well. You know what I mean? All those things are is what is 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 are, are the tools that are making ball family farm successful today because my vision i understand what needs to happen i understand what our consumer what the consumer needs to feel i understand what they want to taste what they want to smell i understand all of that you know what i mean so very similar except for the compliance piece now let me, let me ask you like that, that competitive piece you're talking about right like I, I would imagine that's kind of what drives the greatness of you guys products you know, you know what i'm saying 100 percent yeah, I mean, because, you know, because obviously you guys have a great reputation, right? For all the right reasons. You're black owned, your family business, you're putting out great products. But what, what, what I really love is just your attention to detail with your business. So could you just talk to us a little bit about just growing your business, making it successful, and really just, you know, building the right infrastructure? Yeah, so I'll say this for, for, for everybody that's listening to this right now, right? If you're going to try to come into the cannabis space and you want to have a successful business, I'm going to tell you the number one thing you got to have or you don't even have a chance. If you don't have this one thing, you might as well stop right now, right? The one thing you need to have and you need to build your brand off of is a good strain of weed, right? Don't start with the packaging. Don't start with the with the relationships. Don't start with a celebrity figure. Don't start with all these millions of dollars and all of that, right? Find the perfect strain of weed that works. Because if you get the proper, if you get the right genetic, right, you can build a brand off of one genetic. I'm living proof of doing that, right? I had one strain to Daniel LaRusso when everybody told me that I needed multiple strains. There's no way this is gonna work. You don't have a, a, a hybrid, you don't have a, this, you need a sativa. No, I don't, I need one, right? So you start there. And then once you start there, once you have what the consumer is gonna want, once you have the thing that's gonna bring in the revenue, that's gonna drive the sales, right? Now you can start putting the other pieces together. For me, I was lucky, right? I was lucky that I had a little brother who comes from corporate America that I could put in charge of the finances and make him the CFO, right? And tell me, no, 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 you can't spend that money. You can't, you can't spend that money on that. We gotta spend it on this, right? I was also lucky when we went down to the city and I, I tried to apply for my first uh, electrical permit and I sat there for four hours and didn't get nowhere. So I went outside and called my contractor who used to build my illegal roads for me and asked for his help. And then he referred me to a woman by the name of Ebony Anderson, who is now the COO of my company, right? She was an urban planner by trade. Well, before all this, I had the weed. Right? So I told them, I said, I got the product. I just need y'all to help me make it legal because I don't know how to do any of the rest of this stuff. 
right? Well, Ebony came aboard and took care of compliance, okay? I'm gonna make sure your license is, your license is compliant. I'm gonna make sure that you're actually able to do what you need to do. My brother said, I'm gonna take care of the money. Now at that time, it was just my money, right? It was my trap money. I didn't have to go get no loan. I didn't go partner up with some, you know, person of a, a, a different ethnicity. I don't, you know, I don't wanna be racist or nothing, but I didn't, I didn't go partner with nobody who was gonna do predatory practices on me, right? I had my own bag, right? And so what I told my, my team is I said, look, we don't got 300 lights, we got 30. That's all we got, that's all I can afford. But if we do this 30 right, we can keep reinvesting into 60 lights, you know, to another 30, so we have 90, to another 30, so we got 120. And that's exactly what we did, right? Grassroots from the ground up, my own money, my own team, and it was tough, you know, there was there was there was language and verbiage that we had to navigate through and get through, but we banded together and we got through it together. You know what I'm saying? So building a perfect business, you know, I can't say that I have, you know, um the blueprint, right? But I can advise you if you're gonna come into this space, you better have a good strain of weed. You better have some fire. You need to go find some fire. Because if you ain't got no fire, I don't care how much money you put into a build out. I don't care how much money you get from an investor. I don't care how pretty your packaging is. That consumer will buy it one time, and if it's boof, they ain't never coming back, and you ain't gonna be able to run that business. Nah, that's real. That's a hundred, man. And listen, I agree with everything you said except one thing, Chris. What you was that? Got, you do got the blueprint, brother. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because not, 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 and I'm keeping it real with you though, because you got the product, you went out, you built the team, and then you scaled it. That, that's the blueprint, you know yeah, what I mean? Right. I guess you're right, my brother. You feel I me? Right. I, it don't, it, you know, it didn't feel like that as it was happening, right? It felt like, oh, let me get, my brother knows how to do this. Oh shit, Ebony knows how to do this. Okay, whoo, thank God you got us through that. So it, you know, when you're doing it, it doesn't feel like, yeah, now I got, you know, this super CFO from Colgate. And then I went and got this super COO from Amazon. And you know, I didn't, I, these were these were just regular people that was close to right? Sure. Regular people, in, uh, regular competent people with some degrees and some education, mm -hmm. right? And people of color. Trust. But you can trust. Right, right. That I trusted and I knew had my back and they knew I had theirs. Sure. So now, now that we're here, when you say that, it's like, damn, I guess I do, you know, how to, you know, know the blueprint, but I just want to preface, preface for anybody else out there, you know, you don't got to go get the dude from, you know, Whole Foods or from, you know, Blue Moon Beer Company to come, to come run, you know, to come be your COO or your CFO, you know, go find somebody that know numbers. For sure. You know, go find the frugal person in the family. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or the frugal friend, the cheap one. The one that don't like spend no money on nothing is always talking about investing in some real estate or somebody. Go yeah. get that person. That's real. Right? That's real. So, so yeah, man, that's 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 how I built. That's how I built the business. And that's how we're, I mean, now it's kind of easier to scale, right? Because I'm making money. So now I'm just, I've created a little blueprint for myself, I guess you could say. And now we just take that blueprint and do the same thing in Oklahoma. For sure. And do the same thing in Michigan, right? And yep. it works. Yep, yep, right? yep. You cookie cutter. Yep. Nah, 1,000%, one, one, one man, 1,000%. I mean, like, you guys just nailed the branding piece of it, right? And, yes. and what I love about your branding is that it's not just the beautiful branding of, of Ball Family Farms, but you guys got the cultivar names to match it. Yeah. I, I, what's a couple of them? Uh, Bruce Leroy. Roy. Uh, so, yeah. Show Nup. Show Nup. Show Nup. You know what I mean? Come on, man. <laughs> 
Come on, man. Come on, man. I got a couple surprises for y'all, too. Hold on. Oh, man. Let me give y'all an exclusive look at something that's coming. I'm going to give y'all a couple okay. exclusives. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. Bro. Come bro, on, bro. Man. I just gave y'all exclusive. Come on. Exclusive. And come on, bro, you, man. You gonna tell him, bro? Come on. You gonna man. tell him, or am I gonna tell him? Like, <laughs> come on, man. Yeah, bro, bro. Nino, Charlie, Nino, go ahead, man. Nino Brown, New Jack City. Nino Brown, like, he's yeah. a like. Come on, bro. Yeah. Like, yeah. For us, on. by us. For us, by us, my brothers. Come on, bullet called Nino Brown. What I'm trying to do, man, is, is is bring awareness and pay homage to our culture. For sure. Right? You know, so what's behind, behind the thing that's behind these names, right? Besides, besides Daniel LaRusso and the Karate Kid, right? Like that, that was just my favorite movie as a kid. You know, uh, I, I just really, I just really fucked with, you know, a, a kid, a guy coming from Jersey, coming out to the Valley and, you know, trying to find his way and having to deal with these five bullies. And, you know what I'm saying? I just... I don't know. I just it, the movie just stuck with me as a kid, right? Sure. So, but then when 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 the Last Dragon came out, it was culture shock for me because back then I'd only been watching Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris mm -hmm. and Daniel Larusso, right? Mm -hmm. So when Bruce Leroy hit the screen and Shonuff hit the screen and then Vanity hit the screen as Lord Charles, I was like, whoa, these my people. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? This my people can do karate too. You know what I'm saying? So when that movie came out that became my heart, you know what I'm saying? Cause I was like, oh, I could really be like Bruce Leroy. You know what I'm saying? Like when I saw Daniel's son, I was like, that's just dope. You know what I mean? It, 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 there was, as, a, as an eight year old kid, you don't make the connection. But then when you see Bruce Leroy, you like, I can be that. I was dressing up for him as Halloween. I was doing the whole shit, right? For sure. So when I started my, when I started to name my strains, you know, they told me I couldn't do it. When I said I was gonna name my first name strength, Daniel LaRusso, bro, everybody I told was like, you can't do that. And these are people in the space, wow. right? You can't do that. You're only marketing to one demographic. You're, you're marketing to people your age, you're old. These millennials won't know that. And I was like, you know why it doesn't matter? Because what's in that Daniel LaRusso bag is straight fire. Uh -huh. and I know these millennials know that. Mm -hmm. So when they figure out this is straight fire, they gonna Google who Daniel LaRusso is. They gonna, they gonna <laughs> go try to find out. That's great. Right? Right? And that's what happened. And it just so happened, Cobra Kai hit Netflix at the same time, right? So that was just God, right? That was God just lining up the stars, right? And sure. so now, you, I'm getting people coming up to me all day, like The Last Dragon, bro. I'd never seen the movie until I smoked your weed. And then I went to look for it and found it. And that movie's the shit, right? So now that I'm moving forward, I'm like, okay, bet. Now that I got my consumer and I got my cult following, now I'm just about to start paying homage, bro. Look at this. I'm about to start paying homage, bro. Look at this. Oh, come on. God. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Y'all know Dragonfly Jones, man. Man. Dragonfly Jones, man. Man. Come on, man. I'm coming for this. I'm coming for this. Just to be clear. You, you, like your ability to tap with your audience is crazy. My nephew, aka my brother's bully, is named Nino Brown. Come on, bro. Come on, See? Man. See? <laughs> I'm here for us. I'm here on, for man. us. Man. <laughs> I'm but hold here on. All right, hold on. You, you threw me off first. Let me get back on track. You threw me off. Hold on. Let me get back on track. But nah, but in all seriousness, though, that's really dope because, like you said, it's the product that's in the packaging that's behind the name. And I know a big thing with you is your pheno hunting techniques. Yes, so sir. 
can you just explain to us first what is phenol honey and yeah. why is it so crucial to to what you do? Absolutely. So so what phenol hunting is is when you go you got to go from seed, right? So I, whenever someone asks me about this, I, I try to break it down for somebody who doesn't know plant life, who doesn't know botany, right? Who won't understand some of the terms I'm about to use. So I, I, I try to put it in layman's terms. So phenol hunting, first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna grab a bag of seeds, right? And you're gonna grab them bag of seeds, you're probably gonna have either six or 12 seeds in there. And you're gonna plant those seeds and they're gonna pop. Now, you're, we're, we're gonna relate it to a woman getting pregnant, right? So boom. So boom, we plant the seeds, the seeds pop. Let's say the woman's pregnant and the woman is pregnant with 12, 12 babies, right? Mom is pregnant with 12 babies, right? Out of those 12 babies, what's gonna happen now is that the 12 kids are gonna start growing up, right? You're gonna have bro brothers and sisters, right? Cause you're probably not gonna have 12 of the, of the same sex. Same thing with the seeds. The seeds are gonna grow up and we're gonna have male and female. Now all plant cultivar, in order for them to, to for it to be the fire, for it to be the right weed that we're, all the weed that y'all was smoking, those are female plants, right? So what we gotta do is we gotta separate the brothers and the sisters, right? Because we don't want the brothers to impregnate the sisters. Just the same way you don't want a brother to impregnate his sister right now. That's incest and something weird is gonna happen in the bloodline, for right? Sure. So what we got to do is once them seeds get up to a certain height to where the, the male seeds start growing their ball sacks, right? They grow these little, and those are the seeds. The, the plant grow, the leaves will grow, and then you'll see these little seeds underneath the on the stem. Those are the male scrotum. That's their scrotum. That's where the pollen lives, right? Now the females are over here. If you don't separate them females, right, them male pollen will explode, poof and it'll come over here and land on the female and impregnate her, right? And that, that's, that, now that's the more, that now they're hermine, they're hermine out. So I don't wanna go too far on that because it'll just confuse you. But so what, we, what, what we're doing is we're growing them up, right? And once we identify the males, we pull the males out of the room. We pull all the brothers out of the room. Y'all get out of here. We're gonna put them in another room and save them in case we need them later. So let's say we pull out five out of the 12, right? We got seven girls left. The seven girls are the phenos, right? This is why we call it pheno hunting, right? Now them seven sisters, they gonna grow up and we gonna find the bet the finest sister, right? Now when I say the fine one, that mean that mean the one with the most body, the one that smell the best, the one that has the best color, you know, all of that. So that's what pheno hunting is. So once this once the seven sisters get grown, we start looking at how they look, right? So imagine. The seven girls are now they in high school. They about to go off to college. They got body. You're going to choose which one you want to date, right? You might grab two of them and say, okay, I like these two sisters. I'm going to try to date these two sisters. Well, that's what that's what you call when we when the, we uh, chop it and harvest, we get all the bud off of all seven sisters and we look at them and we go, okay, sister one, uh, she's not purple enough. You know, uh, her nose ain't that good. We don't want her. And we go one by one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now the one, the best sister out of the group, that's the sister that we select, right? And that's the strain that we keep. But what we do is we replant her again. So once we keep her, we grow her up and then she starts growing out her leaves and then we make babies off of her, right? We start cloning off of her, right? And then once we make clones off of her, all those clones have the same expression. She becomes the mom, right? And so we plant them. And then once we run them again and we get them same expressions, so we know she's consistent, we know she's smoking. We know she got color, she got body, she got high, she got terpene, she got all of that.
that's the one we select and then we go and we put her in a bag called Nino Brown and we put her out into the world to go make us some money, right? So that's pheno hunting 101. This is why pheno hunting is important. If I were to take, if you don't know and you don't have an R&D team, right? And you don't know plant expression, you don't know trichomes, you don't know uh, terpene profiles, you don't know any of that stuff. Out of those seven sisters, you might pick the wrong one, right? And when she makes it to market, nobody likes her. You know, the consumer, she's not hitting right. She's not She's not getting you high enough. She's making you paranoid. She's She don't smell good all the time. Like, so that's why it's very, very important, right? And we pheno hunt all year long. You know, well, sometimes we'll run a pheno through the gamut three or four times just to make sure. We want to make sure she's yielding properly. You know, we want to make sure she's got the right color. She got the right smell. She got the right texture. She got the right terpenes. She has to check all the boxes before she ever makes it into one of our bags and makes it to market. Whereas some companies, I won't say who, but they just throw plants in the dirt. They go buy clones from this genetic company over here or this genetic company over here. And everybody's got the same genetics or same clones, but they just, a dish, you know, the sisters got this sister likes to wear sweatsuits and this one likes to wear dresses, but they really the same girl and they calling them different names and all of that. That's what sets us apart is because anytime you get something from Ball Family Farms, it's come from seed and nobody else has it. I mean, that's, that's a unbelievably impressive process, brother. It makes sense why you have the product you have. You feel me? Absolutely. Absolutely. So just, just switching gears for a second, man. I mean, you're obviously you know, the, the first Black-owned commercial indoor grow in LA, and you know you managed to break through so many, you know, I mean, such, such a huge ceiling already, and you still got so much further to go, brother. But from 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 a social equity perspective, what are some of the most important topics that you feel need to be addressed in the cannabis industry as a whole? Man, right away off the bat, financing, finance, financial, right? There needs to be some financial aid for social equity applicants, right? Um, um, consulting. There needs to be somebody that can navigate, help them navigate through the process of what's going on. Whether they got to build a dispensary, whether they got to build a grow, somebody needs to be there so they're not wasting four hours a day down at the city trying to find their way through an electrical permit like I did, right? Somebody needs to be there for them to go, here's how you apply for an electrical permit. Here's how you, here is a contractor that's not gonna rape you, you know, that's gonna give you good pricing that knows what they're doing. Here's a, uh, here's a, 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 a HVAC engineer that's gonna tell you how to put in your HVAC. It's gonna tell you what CO2 you can and cannot use so you don't come in here and get yourself a violation or blow up the building, right? The social equity program is not offering any of that stuff. They're just offering you a license, right? At a very slow rate, right? So I make this parallel when I'm talking about social equity. If Berkeley would have just admitted me to gave me my scholarship, but didn't give me no financial aid, didn't give me no place to live, didn't give me tutors, didn't give me priority registration, didn't give me the necessary resources I needed to graduate college, I would have flunked out of school. I would have never got my degree, right? Because they, because they gave me all those resources, I was able to get on track from being an inner city kid who comes from nothing, right? I've come from a broken home, so I didn't have parents teach me how to write my essays and teach me how to do have good time management and all these other things, right? My tutors, my football coaches, and the resources at the school did that for me, right? And I picked it up. The social equity program is just going, here's your scholarship. There you go. Yep. Go figure it out, yep. right? 
So if your social equity, what does that mean? That means you're disenfranchised, you're low income, right? So you probably don't have that type of education. You probably don't have a college degree. More nine times out of 10, mm-hmm. right? So you're gonna need some guidance. You're broke, you're uneducated, and this is the way the city and the state is supposed to be giving back to you, right? Because you've already suffered because of the war on drugs. They either ate up your community or you went in prison yourself or got or, or have a conviction yourself. Mm-hmm. So where are the resources to help me rehabilitate? That's why it's broken. Yep. I'm an anomaly, right? I just so happen to have gotten a college degree. I just so happened to be, been spending over half my life in a trap, so I didn't pay no taxes. Mm-hmm. Right? So I was low income in the, in the eyes of the, of the state, in the city, right? That's why I went to prison. So, but if it wasn't, if I was, if I didn't have the experience that I have, and if I didn't have that shoebox money like I did, I wouldn't be sitting here. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to y'all today. Mm-hmm. So that's what's wrong with the program. The city and the state, they need to allocate some funds to these social equity applicants so they can start these new businesses, right? Mm-hmm. They need to give them a tax break on some of this stuff. They need to give them fee waivers. These social equity applicants, they got $36,000 to go down to the city and pay for their license and fees like I did. Mm-hmm. You know, where they supposed to get that? Straight up. My, 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 my plans, my, my engineer plans cost me about 60 grand just for an engineer to draw up my building and put his stamp on it, right? Where they gonna get that money from? So they need to develop some sort of programs when these engineers are gonna work for social equity people, hey man, that money's gonna come from the state or you know, do it for us at this rate and we're gonna cover this part and they're gonna cover that part. There just needs to be some resources, my brother. And until we get those resources, you're gonna continue to see the social equity program not work the way it's not working right now. We, listen, I, I agree with everything you said 100%, brother. You know, one of one of the things me and my brother have been working on, we're putting out the Minority Cannabis Academy. It's our nice. uh, adult learning academy on cannabis. Nice. Know, we're we're going to teach folks horticulture, bud tending, extracting and processing. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? All these different things. But what, 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 we're, what we're most proud about, though, is really creating a job placement program with these MSOs who are coming to our towns, like you said, that are disenfranchised, been just written of the world war on drugs. So like, again, everything you said is spot on with the education and just the resources. Yeah, man, and, it, and it's like, for guys like myself, I wanna be a part of some sort of group. You know, uh, my big homie, Al Harrington, you know, started the Black Flower Family. You know, there's a couple other groups out there that are trying to get, get us all, get us people of color together to provide resources and information you know, for other people of color trying to come up into the space, right? I would love for the city or the state of California to come to me or the city of LA or DCR to come to me and be like, Chris, if you can help these people navigate through this, we will cut your taxes, you know, this year in half by this, you know? You don't gotta pay me no, they don't need to pay me no money. Just cut me a break over here. I would do it for free, to be honest. But it would be more of an incentive for other people, you know, who aren't gonna who aren't gonna want to do it for free and, and are money driven. Oh, I'm gonna get to save some taxes if I just help incubate some of these uh, social equity applicants, or or you know, help them in this area, help them in that area. Right? You, we would be able to move mountains, right? So I'm 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 so looking forward, and I jump at the the opportunity to be able to join all these different groups, all these different alliances, so that we can help our people, each one teach one. Mm-hmm. If we can get that going, we may have ourselves another Black Wall Street in Tulsa when it comes to the cannabis space. For sure. We may, we may be able to support one another, sell to our own dispensaries, grow our own flour, use our own distro companies, and keep the money all inside of yeah. our of our community, right? But until we either 
reach back and help one another or the city and the state get their head out of their ass, which we know how that's going to go, we got a long way to go. No, you're you, you spot on, brother. And, and it actually brings me to my next question. You know, and just doing my research, you know, I know your company's motto is cultivating the culture from the ground up. You know, and that says so much in, in just a few words, but obviously we're, since we're talking about it, like when I think about cannabis, I think about culture. And just how important is it that we have the culture of cannabis right as we move forward? Bruh, it is, I, I, I'm trying to think of a term that would express that it is the most important thing. I'm trying to think of a clever term, right? A sexy way to say it, but you know, in just plain English, it is the most important part. And I'll tell you why, you know, people think that cannabis is like, is a commodity, right? They think it's like, tomatoes or avocados or you know the soft drink industry or whatever it's not it's not a commodity it's a culture right so the same rules don't apply you can't go get this doctor and this guy that worked uh for payless and this dude that worked over here for for apple and bring them in the cannabis space and think that they're gonna have some sort of success at running any part of the business right because it just doesn't work that way cannabis ain't it ain't, it, it's starting to become, well, first of all, it's been a business, right? We've, we've been doing this, it's been a business, but it's starting to become a legal business, but the way that it operates and the way that it's fueled is by culture, not by money, right? So people who smoke weed, people who smoke weed ain't gonna just go buy, just go buy any old kind of weed, right? You can't just put any weed on the shelf and people from the cannabis culture are gonna buy it. They may try it, but if it's booth, like I said earlier, they ain't coming back. Right? Like, oh, I don't want that. That that was trash. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, uh, uh. Give me something else, right? So if you don't start from the ground up, literally from the plant, the product, right, and then you build off of that, you have no chance. I don't care how many executives or how much VC money you got. I've, I'm watching it happen. I watch. I'm watching MedMen go right out the damn door. Right, I'm watching some of these other brands go right out the door. Oh, you had oh, you had fifty million dollars. You had a hundred million dollars, and now you're bankrupt. Look at Ignite. Look at Dan Bilzerian and Ignite. Come on, bro. You're not selling cannabis culture. You're selling something else. We know what you're selling, but it ain't it ain't it ain't cannabis culture, right? And so the culture is what's going to keep you alive. It's what's going to keep the industry healthy. So for me, people used to ask me all the time, how much you gonna sell your company for? And when I first started, I was like, uh, if I get 100, 200, I'm out, right? That was, that was back in 2018, 2018, 2019. Now, today, somebody asked me how much I'm selling my company for, I'm like, what you mean? I'm not. Straight up. There's no number. Straight up. Don't you wanna go relax? Yeah, I would like to relax, but what happens to the cannabis culture in the industry if guys like me disappear and sell out for money? Who's going to no provide the opportunities for these young black kids to come up and do this the right way? Who's going to protect the weed? That's because real. we know the MSOs and these VC people ain't. Right they try to figure out how they can squeeze every damn dollar out of our beloved cannabis industry, bro. Yep. They're trying to automate everything, auto flower plants. Uh, let's create more automation, more automation. Take the take the human error out of it. What you talking about? The humans need to be in the room. The plants thrive off of CO2 and other human energy. What you mean? That's how you get the best expression. You don't understand this culture. You don't understand what this is about. It ain't about the money. 
the money's gonna be there. The money's a byproduct of the way we think, right? So just be be good to the plant. Let's give let's give people good medicine. Let's give the wreck people good tree to smoke. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that the culture is everything. It's everything. Hundred percent, brother. Hundred percent. I mean, again, to your point, you know, these cats cutting corners just to maximize profit. They they focused on the money, on the evidence, on the on P and L, the balance sheets. It's the culture, bro. You know what I'm saying? Drives everything. If you don't love this culture, you shouldn't be here. Hundred percent. You can't be here. It's it ain't easy. It's not even it's not even an easy culture to be in and 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 fucking get acceptance in. You know what I'm saying? You y'all been around people who ain't from this culture, but trying to culture vulture it. Trying to be a culture vulture and come in and try to act like they know weed and you know they got their funny looking shirts on and they yeah man come on man you ain't about this shit man you got it you don't even know the difference between a, in a in the dominant hybrid and a sativa bro get go, go over there <laughs> that's true bro nah but you know what, what, what was crazy what you just said though was how your mindset changed from 2018 19 till now. As if that wasn't two, three years ago. You know what I'm saying, brother? Right. Like, a lot's happened. You feel me? Like a lot has happened. So I gotta ask though, like you've done so much in such a short period of time. Like, what's next for Ball Family Farms, man? Man, you know what's next? We um we're expanding here in Los Angeles, right? So uh, we have a hundred thousand square foot facility, but right now we're only operating in forty thousand of that hundred. So we're gonna expand more over into that other 60, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna be partnering with a couple other black brands, you know what I'm saying? And, and helping them um, and cultivating, you know, and doing these collaborations with these couple black brands who need to be here, you know, who are near and dear to my heart, to people of color's heart, and you know, they need to be here. They're important to our culture, right? So I'm gonna extend my hand and my growing abilities to a couple of those brands and then, um, I'm expanding, we're expanding Ball Family Farms into Oklahoma. So we acquired a license over there. We have a licensing partner in Oklahoma. So we are now, you know, multi-state operators. So we're in the process of building, we're in, under construction right now. Um, got a deal on the table right now with Chris Weber and the 7M Group out of Detroit, Michigan. So I'm, I'm entertaining, we're talking, you know, I'm, I'm investigating and seeing just how authentic everybody involved is in that, in that uh, situation, because at the end of the day, Anytime y'all see Ball Family Farms put our name on something, you guys better know I've done my research and everybody deserves to be here and everybody is authentic to the culture. It ain't no money place. For sure. And besides that, man, we, you know, um, like I said, there's some Netflix things, you know, in the works. So um, can't speak too much about it, but there is a docu-series uh, coming out about 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 my family, about my, my story and about, you know, how we got here and, you know, where we're going, you know, that the cameras have been following for a minute now. You know what I'm saying? So everybody get a chance to sit down and really get to see a lot more detail about, about how we got here and, and where we're going from here. No, nah, absolutely, bro. I'm, I'm looking forward to it myself, man, for sure. Yeah, thank you, bro. Thank you, man. That means a lot to me. So listen, I, I feel compelled. I mean, you, you gave an exclusive with the Nino Brown. We got to give you an exclusive. Yeah, right. <laughs> bro, don't, bro, don't get, hold on. Don't get mad at me, bro. Nah, man. You good, bro. Give it to me. Um, yeah, I got the pass. I got the pass, Stanley. <laughs> oh, man. Give me a pass, bro. So we got, we, we, we releasing the press release next week, but um, we just partnered with a company called Reform. They're actually from California. Re Reform, R-E-E-F-O-R-M. I heard of this company. Okay, yeah. So what we're going to be doing is working with MSOs, dispensary owners, so on and so forth, cultivators, and we're going to be putting together our own product, putting it into these uh, facilities. And every right. time someone purchases this flower, this gas, 
um, a, pro- a portion of the proceeds will go to an inmate in prison's commissary account. Bruh, bruh, that's so big, man. Let me, let, hey, man, let me clap it up. For Appreciate that, that brother. Appreciate that's that. That's huge, bro. That's 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 what I'm talking about. That's 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 for the culture right there, bro. That's for the culture right there. That's that's big, man. That that's dope. That is really dope. Thank y'all for doing that. Thank y'all for doing that. That's dope, bro. Absolutely, man. Well, listen. Before we let you get out of here, we we gotta ask you the question we ask everybody, man. Absolutely. Right. We, we always want to end it on. Oh, you know what? I can't even ask you this question because you don't smoke. I don't smoke. Yeah, you can ask me though. Wait, I'm gonna I ask you anyway. Though. Yeah, you, I you smoked smoke. all my weed. I yeah, smoked. Yeah. I tried it. I, okay. I have to. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> so my, so, my so, so go ahead and ask me. All right, all right. So I gotta ask, what's your favorite strain of all time, and why? Okay, my favorite strain all time to smoke is my bonsai. Right, and the only reason why is because I don't smoke, and so my rest of my weed is too strong for me to smoke, and so it sends me into some other weird place where I just want to go to sleep. But my bonsai is a light sativa, right? And it allows me to stay awake, it allows me to still be happy. I start laughing at stuff, so that's my all time favorite weed to smoke. My all time favorite weed, period is Daniel LaRusso because Daniel LaRusso has made your boy a rich man. Oh man, that's so dope, man. Well, Chris, this, this has been awesome, brother, in every sense of the word. Um, before we get out of here, man, like how can the people get in contact with you? Absolutely. You can find me personally, Chris Ball, uh, on IG at ChrisBall45. You can find the company, Ball Family Farms, at Ball Family Farms. And then if you want to get grab some merch, grab some nice, dang, you know, dang, uh, Ball Family Farms shirts, got some Daniel LaRusso merch about to drop, some Last Dragon merch about to drop, you can go on BallFamilyFarms.com and click the shop button. And there, it is. there you got it. There you got it. Listen, y'all, you have it, man. We just want to thank the uh, entire 420 NJ family for tuning in, kicking it with us. Make sure you got the notifications on. You're ready for the next episode. It's been the Higher Learning Podcast for 420 NJ events. Until next time, medicate responsibly. Let's go. Peace.